Good morning. If you all would open to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I was having an interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago, and, and it was uh, very enlightening. I found out something that, that I guess I knew always, but I just didn't, didn't fully grasp it, and that is that today is Father's Day. I'm sure most of you knew that. But the other 364 days are Mother's Day, and I didn't know that. And for some of us, today is Father's Day only for half the day, and then the other half of the day will be Mother's Day anyway. But, but this morning, so that I don't forget, like I did last night, I would like all the fathers to go ahead and stand, and we're going to pray for you. So if you're a father, grandfather, great-grandfather, please stand. It is such a privilege and a blessing to be a dad. You know, and uh, when Pastor Charlie decided that he was going to take the month of June as his month off, he asked, the first service that he asked is, who wants to teach Father's Day? And I, I just jumped at that one before anybody else could say anything, because I do believe that it is such a, a blessing, but such a huge responsibility for us to be fathers. You know, you're the spiritual head of your household. You're an example to your wife and to your kids, and it's, it's our responsibility to lead, to be in the front, to lead by example. And it's, it's a challenging job. It's very, very difficult, especially if you desire to do it rightly. So I just want to pray for you this morning, and, and then we'll pray for the study, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for bringing us into this place today, and I thank you for each one of these men that is standing before you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in each of us, that you would fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit throughout every moment of every day. Lord, that we would all have a, a firm desire to not only draw close to you, but to lead our families closer to you each and every day as well. I pray, Lord, for your blessings upon each one of these men, that, that you would fill them with your wisdom, fill them with your strength, fill them with your passion, and also fill them with your patience. Lord, that we would just be the men that you have called us to be, that we would be an example of you, and that we would look to you as our perfect example of how to be a father in this world. We also pray for this study this morning. We pray, Lord, that, that you would prepare our hearts to hear from your word, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would grant us your understanding and discernment as we desire to rightly divide your word and hear you speak through it. And so we give you all the praise, glory, and honor, and we give you this time. We ask and pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, men. Well, this morning we're going to be going through John chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 16 and then we'll loop back all the way to the beginning. But John 3.16 is one of those passages that I think most, if not every Christian, has heard many, many times. Especially if you grew up in the church, this was one of those first, first week, first month type of things. You know, Genesis 1.1 in the beginning. Then you had some of the, the different stories from the Bible. Maybe even Psalm 23. And then you got John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him 
might be saved. And that's going to be the foundation, the crux of everything that we talk about this morning, is that, that God, as a perfect father, sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for a bunch of miserable wretches. And that he did that before any of us had given him any glory, any honor, before we had given him any praise or recognition. In fact, we were still at odds with God. We were still enemies of the cross, enemies of God. And that was when he desired to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he didn't just do it for the spiritual elite. He did it for everyone. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We see that clearly throughout the Word of God. But we also see very clearly that God's desire is for every single person to come to know his son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I think that it's important for us to always keep that at the forefront of our heart and our mind as we go out and as we minister the gospel to those around us. There have been some very strong misconceptions going around throughout time, since the beginning of time, about God's people, about God's children, about who we are. And now even more so, after Jesus came, there were still all of the rumors that were spread, all of the things that were blamed upon Christians, and sometimes rightfully so. And right now, there are a lot of misconceptions going around about what the church should believe and what it does believe about a variety of things. And a lot of this message began to take shape after the events of last weekend. Last weekend, as most of you probably already know, there was a shooting at a homosexual nightclub in Orlando, Florida. The early reports were that 50 people died. Later on, it was determined that there were 49 people that had died inside and then the gunman had taken his own life. So there were 50 people that had died and one of the, the most shocking things for me was the reaction of many inside the church to this shooting. There's a church in Sacramento, California specifically called Verity Baptist Church. And as you go through their website, they believe so many of the same things that we do. And I, I, was, I was touched by some of the things in their belief statement. I'm not going to read everything to you, but, but one of the first ones is we believe that salvation is by grace, through faith, and not of works. I think when that is the first place that you start with a statement of belief, what we believe, that's a great place to be. We believe that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. That means you didn't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to get it, except by faith and grace. This means that salvation cannot be earned by any work, church attendance, baptism, repenting of your sins, etc., etc. Salvation is putting your faith in Jesus Christ and that he died, was buried, and rose from the grave to pay for your sin. You receive salvation by simply asking the Lord Jesus to save you. And so I'm, I'm right on with all of that. I think that that's great. You go further down in their statement of belief and it says, we believe that the unsaved will spend eternity tormented in a literal hell and eventually the lake of fire. I think the Bible's very clear on that. Then they go on to say, we oppose worldliness and believe in a holy separated life. I think that the Bible is very clear about that too. That we are called to live in this world and yet not be of it. That we are called to be set apart. We're called to be different. To be a special people. Not an elite people, a special people. 
The very, very last one is that this is not an all-inclusive list. We believe that anything and everything found in the King James Version of the Bible is true. And I'm totally on track with all of that. But if you back up one statement, it says, We believe that sodomy, homosexuality, is a sin and an abomination before God, which God punishes with the death penalty. No sodomite homosexual will be allowed to attend or join Verity Baptist Church. And I can't fully agree with everything that's in that statement. Not because it's not a sin, because it is. And not because the penalty for that sin is death, because it is. But because there's no mention of all the other sins that are worthy of the death penalty according to the Word of God. There is a problem with any sin that we highlight. Any sin that we single out and we say this one is worse than all the others, or this one is deserving of death and not the others. When we start picking and choosing what sins are really, really shameful and what sins are okay or acceptable, then we have entirely missed all of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not called to choose. We are called to abstain from all of it. And that is the challenge before us. And, and the reason that, that I chose Verity Baptist Church, it was I rarely get on Facebook anymore. And I popped in for, for a couple of minutes to check some stuff. I had gotten a notification that it was somebody's birthday, and so I was logging in just to, to send them some birthday wishes. And the very first thing that popped up was a, a man, a friend of mine in Sacramento, California, and he, he posted this thing about a man named Roger Jimenez that I don't believe that what Roger Jimenez does, and he goes through and he's just ripping on this guy. And, and I thought this was some kind of internal church struggle or, or whatever, because then he was talking about, you know, not everybody in Sacramento believes like this guy, and, and he just goes on and on and on. And I, I, was, I was blown, I was, what is this? And so I started typing his name into Google, and I hadn't even gotten through his last name, and all of a sudden it popped up, Roger Jimenez Orlando. And so then I read some articles, and I thought, you know what? They, they've, they've got to have gotten this wrong. There's no way that anybody that's a, a true Bible-believing Christian could say some of these things. And I, especially a pastor of a church. There is no way that these things were, were taken in context. They must have twisted his words. They must have pulled it out. They must have manipulated and massaged it. And then there was a video of his statement. A video of the things that he was sharing from the pulpit, from their own church. And it wasn't doctored, it wasn't altered. And in this video, as he was teaching on a Sunday night from the pulpit, he said, people say, like, well, aren't you sad that 50 sodomites died? Here's the problem with that. It's like the equivalent of asking me, what if you asked me, hey, are you sad that 50 pedophiles were killed today? Um, no, I, I think that's great. I think that helps society. You know, I think Orlando, Florida is a little safer tonight. The tragedy is that more of them didn't die. The tragedy is I'm kind of upset that he didn't finish the job. I mean, just the anger that I felt when I first read that. And just the total lack of understanding of the love of the Father that that statement showed. The real tragedy is not what he's talking about. The real tragedy isn't even that 49, 50 people lost their lives. The real tragedy is that 
most, if not all of those 50 people lost their lives without ever having made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that now those people are tormented eternally in hell. That is tragic. And this guy totally missed that. And he's incited all of these things. He's incited, it's a small church, but he's incited everyone within his church. Then that thing went viral. And now the church as a whole, by and large, is getting a black eye for this because, well, you guys all believe like this man. Because you guys are all hate mongers. And I believe that this man is a hate monger. That's what that is. It is not hate to tell you that you're in sin. That's true love. It is hate to say these kind of things. We need to understand the love of God. And I truly believe that if we don't fully understand what it is to know Jesus Christ intimately as Lord and Savior, if we don't know what it is to have a relationship over religion, then that's what happens. Because then it becomes academic. Then it becomes, I will pick and choose in my flesh, not through the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, not through discernment, but through my flesh. I will pick and choose who deserves to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I will pick and choose who deserves mercy and grace and who deserves condemnation and death. There's a reason that we don't get to choose that because we are just as imperfect as everybody else. Because we wouldn't even have let ourselves in if we had known that. I remember talking to a young man that I had grown up with several years ago about some of the things that were taking place in his church. And, and I, I've shared this story before that he was so excited and impassioned and on fire about the fact that their church had gotten smaller because they had just kicked out all of these different people who weren't living up to their standard. And, and I remember thinking, you would not even have been allowed to come to this church if the church knew who you were five years ago, after having known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You would have not been allowed inside the door and yet here you are five years later and you're stoked about the fact that they're kicking people like you out. What about the grace? What about the mercy? What about the love? What about the fact that Jesus came to save a world of lost and dying sinners? The church is where they should be. I would suggest to you that I would, I would be much more pleased and I think that God is much more pleased to have a bunch of sinners who know that there's a problem and want to try to fix it and show up to church than a bunch of religious elite who think that they know Jesus and don't have a relationship. God desires to speak to those that are broken and hurting, not to those that are hypocritical and on a high horse. And that goes for all of us. It doesn't matter how long we've been saved. We need to be intimate with Jesus daily. We need to be getting to know him deeper and deeper than ever before because that is the only way to keep us from getting on that hypocritical high horse. We have to know him. There has to be more than just religion. God sent his son so that we would have an opportunity to have a relationship. What was it like before Jesus came? It was so much harder for them to have a relationship. You go through the Old Testament, especially as you read through Exodus and all the things that happened to the children of Israel and the way that God would speak through individuals to a nation. 
Then you go on through the, the book of Judges and you see all the different times that, that God would raise someone up. He would speak through them and God would deliver them. And then the people would turn and they would do what was right in their own eyes, which is exactly what we're talking about. But they would do what was right in their own eyes and then they would turn away and then they would fall. They would become enshackled by somebody and then God would have to raise somebody up. And it's almost comical. If it wasn't true and it wasn't so sad, it would be almost comical because it's just over and over. It's like they couldn't get off of the cycle. It, well, God raised them up and delivered them, and then they were dumb, and then they got, got enslaved. And then God raised them up, and then they were dumb, and they got enslaved. And it was just over and over and over again. Then you go through the books of First and Second Samuel. You go through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you see all the kings... And the way that so many of them did not love God. So many didn't follow after God and they were leading the people. And there would even be prophets that God would raise up to speak to them, to not just the people, but to the rulers, to the kings. And that they would just turn them aside. Even so much so that sometimes they would execute the prophets, their own people. They would execute the prophets who were telling the truth and speaking the, the word of God. You go through all of this stuff, and it was so hard for them to come to a relationship. And that's where we get to John chapter 3, verse 1, because this is where Nicodemus, the man that we're going to meet in a moment, that's where Nicodemus was. He desired more than religion. He knew that there was something else. This was a man that had given his life to studying the scriptures, that he knew about religion. He was extremely well-versed in religion, and he was a leader. He was a scholar. Jesus would each, even call him a teacher of the people. And yet he knew that there was something missing. In John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is his spirit. And so Nicodemus comes at night and he comes to speak to Jesus because I truly believe that he knew Jesus was, was on the right track. He didn't fully grasp who Jesus was at this point, but he knew that there was something different, there was something special, there was something that he needed in his life that he didn't, that he couldn't find in the religion that he had practiced for so long. Nicodemus knew religion well but it couldn't get him to the relationship that he wanted. And so Jesus is talking about becoming a part of his family, and this was a totally mind-blowing experience for Nicodemus, and, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. And, and before you think, well, Nicodemus must have been slow, or, you know, how could this guy be a teacher of the Jews? Think about this. You know, now for us, you know, hey, are you born again? We all know what that means. Like, that's an easy Christianese phrase that gets tossed around. But this was the first time that this had ever been discussed with anyone here on earth. Like, it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't have made sense to any of us. 
But Jesus is talking about the way that you can become a part of his family spiritually, which is so much more important than physical. And to understand that what is born of the flesh is flesh and what is born of the spirit is spirit. And I think that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about this, not just about life in general, but also about religion, about his studies, about the academics, about the things that he had pursued in his life. To understand that religion and academics by themselves are fleshly pursuits. That doesn't mean that they're evil. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. But by themselves, without any kind of influence from the Holy Spirit, it is just a fleshly pursuit. But they can be spiritually fruitful and edifying under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Once you become a child of God, once you give your life over to Jesus, once you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, then it's like the, the light bulb turns on or the door opens. Whatever idiom or phrase you want to use, it's like a whole new world. It's a whole new way to see things and to understand even the things that you've learned from when you were a child. Everything becomes so much clearer and it all starts to make sense. Apart from God, we know that we can do nothing. But I think sometimes we miss the other part of that is that in God, we can do anything. We can understand anything. God's desire is for us to know him, to understand him. Not that, that he wants to have all of these secrets. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And we're not going to know all of it until we get to heaven. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to share things with us right now. And it's not this new revelation. That's when you need to be worried. When somebody says, you know what, I was praying last night and God gave me a new revelation. As if there were more parts to the Bible that need to be written. But God can give you a, an understanding of so much through his word. You can literally read through the same passage for weeks and God will speak something different to you through it each time. But sometimes we just get so caught up in, well, I've already read that. So I, I don't need to go through that again. Or, you know what, this is, this is I know what this story's about, and so you just kind of skip verses. You know, we, don't, we won't even do that to movies. You know, especially nowadays, DVR, right? You know, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, uh, pause. And then you go. Because you can't leave without it. And then sometimes if, if you think that it was such a great movie or a great TV show or a sporting event or whatever, not only do we have the, the ability to pause, to rewind, and, and all of these things, but we record it and we'll watch it again. And what do we say when we do that? Well, I know that there were some parts that I missed, and so I want to go back and I want to catch them again. But do we have that same kind of passion about the Word of God? You know what? There was something that I missed. I know that there's more to that. And I want to go back to that. You know, it's something that, that I've talked about doing many times, and, and I, I really just need to get on it and do it, is that I want to start writing down all of my notes as I go through. You know, just start in Genesis 1-1. And just start writing about all the things that God is speaking to me as I read through the Word of God. And then to do it again. And then again. And then to be able to compare the notes and to see how different it was because of where I was in my life. Maybe it was a situation that I was going through. Maybe it was a maturity thing. Maybe it was something that was going on in somebody else's life. But so many times we miss what God wants to speak to us because it's just a fleshly pursuit. It needs to be a spiritual experience. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to Nicodemus. And so he goes on in verse 7. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You think about some of the amazing things that God does through some not-so-amazing people, right? I just, it's mind-blowing. How could God possibly have done that through so-and-so? And if we're honest, and hopefully we're being used, we should be able to say, how could God have possibly used me to do that? That was amazing. That was awesome. And it should be an exciting thing. And that's what he's talking about here is that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. You can see the effects of the wind, but, but you just don't understand. You can't see the wind itself. And this is what he's starting to talk about his family about Christians, the invisible church, not the physical church, not just the people who come on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever, but the invisible church, the people that truly know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the people that truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, is that, that the Spirit is working in and through us, and, and there's no other explanation. It's just amazing. You know, there are stories, countless stories, of people that, that don't know any other languages. And then they're called upon in an emergency to share the gospel with somebody. And God just gives them the words. You know, there are times that, that, that we feel inadequate and we feel like, you know, how could I possibly share with somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a, a Bible teacher, I'm not an elder or a deacon at my church, I don't even teach in the children's ministry. How could I possibly share with somebody? But they step out in faith and God begins to bring to their remembrance things that they have learned, things that they have read because they spent time with Jesus and because Jesus wants the world to be saved through him. And that's what he's talking about here. And Nicodemus is still struggling, but he still wants to know. He's still asking questions. So in verse 9, he answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And I think to put that in a different perspective for us is that that's what happens here. I can't tell you how many times that I have just been off, just spiritually off just enough, just enough where something is going on in my life or, or I'm just not focused on the Lord the way that I should be. And I'm sitting through a Bible study or a church service and all I can think about is all the things that were wrong with that church service. Where I'm nitpicking and I'm, you know, I would have said that phrase differently or I would have used this verse instead or, well, here we go again. I've heard this one before. I've done it here. Pastor Charlie's not here so I can tell you that. But I've done it here. I've done it in churches that are way bigger than ours. I've done it in churches that are smaller than ours. I've done it at pastor's conferences where I've shown up and, and I've, I've been there and just had such a bad attitude and been in such a wrong place. We're not even talking about completely turning my back on God and, you know, living in sin. I'm just talking about being just enough off 
to focus on the wrong things. And sitting in a pastor's conference and thinking, you know, they should have just asked me. I, I could have done that. And that's what he's saying here. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things, if I've told you these simple things, a lot of times that's just, that's not even talking about really spiritual stuff. Sometimes I'm already nitpicking just about verbiage, just the way that they're speaking, the word that they used. You know, that wasn't a, a very smart word, or, or that was way too over everybody's heads, or whatever it is. And if I'm not even getting the earthly things, how can I possibly be getting the spiritual things? And, and I'm using myself as an example, but this happens a lot, not just to me. Because I've been in, in services where I've come out like that and I've felt, you know what? I don't even know how God could have worked today. That was so awful. And then other people have sat through the same service and said, you know what? It was so amazing what the pastor said today and this is how it spoke to me. And, 